last week, if you uh, were here, I started uh, teaching out of Ezekiel 33, which is where we'll be, and uh, really talking about becoming a modern-day watchman. And uh, in the biblical concept, in the biblical times, uh, I, a watchman, literally that Hebrew word means one who looks out or one who watches. And the idea is one who watches over something or one who watches for something, okay? And there's also an idea that a biblical watchman was one who mends something. In other words, a watchman they would set up on the wall of a city, let's say uh, uh, that they thought um, maybe some other tribe or another town or someone was going to come and attack the city. They would assign watchmen different times, just like in the military. You know, what time is your watch? What time is your watch? And a watchman would stand up on the wall, and at the middle of the night or even during the day, depending on how uh, hostile or how close the enemy was, uh, they would always be on the lookout for the enemy, okay? Uh, they would always be looking for someone, maybe someone that might be bringing assistance. Let's say they've sent, uh, they know they're out, about to be besieged or attacked by someone, so they've sent out invitation to another king who happens to be a friendly king or a friendly tribe. Uh, they're looking out, man, when is the cavalry going to show up, right? When is help going to show up? And then they also mend things. In other words, as they're walking around on the wall, uh, if they see cracks, uh, they would begin to fix it. Why? Because if you're up there and you see a crack and you're not in battle at that point, that's a good time to fix it. It's not time uh, to, uh, uh, when you're in the battle, it's not time to stop and fix the cracks. And so that's what a watchman did biblically. And so I started talking about uh, what's it look like for us as men today if we are going to be biblical watchmen. Uh, for our community. If you look in, in God's Word, if you look in one of the dictionaries, uh, here is what it says that watchmen did. And we're not going to go, you don't have to memorize all this. You can be a watchman. We're going to go through some of the things we talked about last week. Then we're going to jump into really uh, the meat of what we're going to talk about today. There are five key things that a watchman did according to this dictionary. Is uh, They had to watch for the enemy. They had to have good eyes. They had to warn the people by sounding the trumpet. In other words, not only did they have to have good eyes, they had to have good, good lips, uh, that it doesn't help if you see the enemy, but you don't say anything about it, right? Uh, so you've got to see the enemy, then you've got to blow the trumpet to warn the people. And sometimes a watchman would stand up on a perch because he could see, and people would still be outside the walls. They had to go along their daily lives. They might be uh, agrarians, and they're going ahead and, and picking food or getting food or doing whatever they need to do. A watchman, when he sees sign of trouble, he blows the horn. That tells everybody, come inside the walls of the city because it is not safe. The third thing they did uh, were repair the cracks uh, in the wall. The fourth thing they did, a good watchman, when he was walking around the walls or whatever wall he was assigned on, he was to pray for the people. That he was to say, Lord, bless our people. Let us be prosperous. Let us make good decisions. So there was prayer involved. A watchman was there to pray for his people. And then um, uh, finally, uh, a fifth aspect as you look through God's Word is that a watchman was one who didn't point out blame in the people. He confessed the sins of the people. He took ownership of the sins of the people. He doesn't say, you know, these people are sinful. He said, Lord, we confess our sins as a people, as a group. And so that's really uh, what one uh, Bible dictionary said that a watchman did. So last week we took up the idea of, man, that's a great concept for men today, right? 
that we need to be watchmen. We need to warn people. We need to look out for the enemy. We need to repair some cracks. Uh, anybody think we live in a cracked nation with some cracked world, with some cracked relationships and families and stuff like that? Man, there's some repairing that we can. Anybody think we live in a sinful nation? Uh, wouldn't it be good for us to confess the sins of the people, but at the same time, obviously confess our own sins? You know, we don't just want to point out someone else's sin. We want to be in the habit of confessing our own sins. And so here's what we looked at yes, last week, if you weren't here. Uh, we said, what does it look like to be a biblical watchman in today's society? The first thing I said is the watchman always announces the start of a new day, like a bugler, an alert, a charge. And we looked at that idea. And so if you missed it, you can go online and you can get part one. Then we said... Um, uh, modern-day watchmen uh, watched over to safeguard the fields and the vineyards. I showed you some examples that there were other times that uh, uh, the, the watchman wasn't on the wall. It wasn't necessarily a fortified city. There would be a very wealthy man. What the wealthy man would do is he would go out and he'd plant a vineyard. In the middle of the vineyard or the middle of the agriculture, he would build a tower, and it would be a watchtower. It wouldn't be a watchman's wall around the city. And so the watchman would stand up there, and he would make sure that, especially in harvest time, that those that are just down the road didn't roll in uh, and steal the harvest. Does that make sense? And what would happen if he saw that, he'd blow the horn, and then people would come out, and they would uh, protect the fields and protect the crops. There were those who protected over the vineyards and over the fields, especially during times of harvest. Uh, then we said last week, uh, they determined they had to have some discernment. So they had to be alert, is the first thing we talked about last week. If you and I are going to be, we had to have wisdom. We'd have wisdom. And the third thing we talked about last week is you have to have discernment. And those are all things that we need to be, need to have, guys. Uh, as men, uh, we need to be alert. We need to be wise. We need to have discernment. Part of a watchman's job was when someone begins to come towards you, uh, and I gave you some examples from Scripture, you have to determine, is this friend or foe, right? Is this good or bad? Uh, and not always when things come our way, whether it's circumstances or things or even relationships or people, people don't walk up to you with a sign hanging around your neck, don't worry, I'm good, or don't worry, I'm bad. You have to have some discernment, right? Uh, I need to pour into this relationship. I need to avoid this relationship. I need to be cautious and careful. Those are all things that we looked at last week. And so let's look at this week. And now we're going to be jumping back into uh, basically Ezekiel chapter 33. Um, it's interesting as we think about uh, from a national sense uh, our own consciousness. Um, ran across this week and a lot's being said right now about all this and pointing back to Nazi Germany and uh, supremacist and stuff like that, ran across a, a, a quote uh, that someone had asked Adolf Hitler uh, when he was uh, in the midst of trying to exterminate the Jews. They said, how does your conscience uh, deal with this? I mean, how do you sleep at night knowing you're massacring millions of people? And he said, a conscience is a Jewish creation. He says, I don't have a conscience. But the reality of it, we all have a conscience. If you look in Romans uh, chapter 2, uh, if you go to, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, it says God created us in His image. And part of His image is we, we have a conscience. Remember Adam and Eve, first thing they did as soon as they sinned and, and ate of the fruit, uh, it says they immediately knew the difference between good and evil, right? 
Then you go to Romans chapter 2. Paul says, whether someone's uh, in the faith or in the church or read God's word every time, he says, everybody has a conscience. Here's how Paul put it. He says, even those without the law. What is he saying? Those who never go to church. Those who uh, never read the Bible. They alternately have their conscience bearing with, uh, bearing with them either for them when they make good decisions or against them when they make bad decisions, right? What is he saying? The natural thing is, as we grow up and as we mature, uh, you don't have to sit in church every week to know that probably I shouldn't go rob banks, right? That's just something we naturally know. Stealing is wrong. Why? Because God has given us all a conscience. And so regardless of, um, of those seasons and times, and although none of us in here would ever be to the extreme that Adolf Hitler is, aren't there times that we suppress our conscience? Why? Because it's a sin we want to do. I've noticed this about sins. Y'all's sins are way worse and way bigger than mine. <laughs> I've noticed that. Am I the only one that kind of picks and chooses, right? I guarantee you, you let someone have a different sin than me, that's way worse than my little sins, right? What are we doing? We're tamping our conscience down. We're trying, to, we're trying to say, ah, what I'm doing is not that bad, or man, but golly, what Chug does. Good Lord. You know, that's kind of the way we are. And so we need to understand that if we are going to have, uh, uh, be good watchmen, we've got to listen to our conscience and also listen to our conscience that is supported by God's Word. So let me give you uh, another verse. Let's jump that down and let me begin to read. Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Here's what it says. This is God kind of um, laying it out for Ezekiel. He said, son of man, uh, that's when he's talking about Ezekiel. He says, I have made you, all right, singular, guys, in the Hebrew, that's singular, a watchman for the people, plural. So God said to Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman, you singular, a watchman for the people, plural. So in some measure, guys, we each as individuals, as men, are watchmen for other people, plural, okay? We, we live in a society that is very self-centered. It's very much about us. But I want you to know that's not a biblical model. That's an American model. It's not a biblical model. As men, God calls us, particularly men of faith and uh, men of stature and men of strong character, uh, God calls us to not only watch out for our own selves, but to watch out for others, others, to pray for them, to watch out for enemies, to be willing to speak into their life, uh, to mend some fences, to fill in some cracks in the wall. And so notice what he says, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak to you and give them, there it is, I speak to you singular, and give to them plural a warning from me. So God says, Ezekiel, I want you to be a watchman. But you're not just a watchman for you. You're not just a watchman for you and your family. You're a watchman for all of Israel. And guys, in some measure for each and every one of us in this room, you're not just a watchman. You are a watchman. You are one who looks out to see, to pray for, to mend, to discern, to be wise, to be alert. Uh, when the enemy's prowling around like a roaring lion, as Peter says in the New Testament. But you're not doing it just for you. And you're not doing it just for your family. 
although you do need to do it for you and you do need to do it for your family, we're also doing it for our communities and our country. And that's kind of what we do when we go to Vega Elementary this weekend. We are, we are watching over some other kids. Hopefully they'll have a better education experience because what we've done for over 20 years, we do that over and over and over again. So uh, I want you to hear these words, okay? Just as we talk about, uh, talk over the next few minutes, these are words that God speaks to you, okay? Don't take these words and say these were meant to Ezekiel. They're meant to you. He says, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people. So hear the word of the Lord that is spoken to you and give them a warning from me. So how do we do that? If we do our jobs as watchmen, how do we do it? Well, let's jump back and see kind of the commissioning. Jump up to verse 1. Uh, if we do our jobs as watchmen, notice what it says. Verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel. He's talking. He says, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, this is kind of the full commission, and I read you a verse or two, When I bring the sword against the land, and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet uh, to warn the people. All right, so... He's going back. God has said, I want you to be a watchman. He goes, here's what a watchman does, kind of the commissioning. Now notice this, there is a condition. So now if we all understand that we are watchmen, I want you to know there's a condition, but there's also a caution. The condition is, here's how you do your job as a watchman for your family, for yourself, for your community. But then there's also a caution. If you and I don't do our job, as men, there's actually some consequences that come upon us, that God challenges us if we aren't the men that God wants us to be. So let's read on, pick it up in verse 4. He says, if you see, uh, see uh, uh, the enemy coming, the sword, that's his analogy in verse 3, if you see the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to blow the trumpet to warn the people, look at verse 4, then if anyone hears the trumpet, but does not heed the warning, and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own heads. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, if you do your job, if I do my job, and people choose to ignore the warning, their blood is on their own hands. Does that make sense? And I, and I love that. Guys, you and I aren't called to save everybody and save everybody from trouble and save everybody from making a mistake. But what we are called to do is warn people. Does that make sense? I will tell you as a pastor, uh, I know that there are people who are unchurched that are lost all over here, that they're struggling, they're in trouble. What is my job as a pastor? To warn them and to invite them into God's grace and God's love. That's why we have thousands of ministries here at the church, Divorce Share, Grief Share, uh, uh, Celebrate Recovery. We have all of these different ministries. Why? to warn people about addictions and struggles and hurts and habits and heartaches and all of those things. And we want to help you out, but also warn you, if you are making poor decisions, they could destroy your family. They could destroy your career. They could destroy your life. What is our job? Our job is to warn, right? If they don't heed our warning, their blood's on their hands. But 
notice as you continue to read on, he had their own head. Look at verse 5. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they heed, listen to this, because if they had heeded the warning, then they would have saved themselves. Man, that's really where we are. We, we talked about last week that, guys, a lot of times um, we can choose the sin we want to, uh, um, want to participate in. What we don't get the opportunity to choose are the ultimate consequences that come from those sins, right? We don't get those opportunities. And so what God says, say, he said, Ezekiel, or you, or you, or us, I'm calling you to be a watchman for yourself and your own character and your own consciousness, for your family, for your community, those around you, for your friends. Sometimes we need to look up and say, listen, you ought not to be heading down that way. Certainly you guys know as a pastor, I, I find myself engaged in a lot of those conversations. You ought not to be heading that way, but I want you to know this, that a lot of times those conversations are not as pastor, they're as friend. That I'm saying that that's not a choice you want to make. And they're not listening to their pastor. They're listening to a friend, right? Just like in your life. There are times that if you see a friend going in the wrong direction, part of God's call on your life as a godly man is to redirect them. To say, I want you to know that will destroy your career. That will destroy your family. That will destroy this. That will destroy that. Now, you can't force them to make the right choice. I can tell you, as both a pastor and friend, I have given some phenomenal advice to people that have been totally rejected. Am I the only person in the room? I have given some phenomenal advice to my kids, and they have completely rejected them. How many of you own the same kind of kids that I do? I mean, there are times that, I mean, I, I, I don't even know where I first heard this. But a couple of years ago, I, it was just awesome. It's freed me up. I, when you look at your kid and say, I have been your age, you have not been my age. So you might want to listen to what I said. And I don't know how I survived your age, uh, but if you head the way you're heading, I, you're not, right? Because I tell them, and I'll tell my kids, I said, listen, you might choose what you do wrong, but you cannot choose the consequences I deliver you. The only choice you have is before you do it or before you say it. Because after that, then I choose. Then I choose what's going to happen. And so you and I need to understand, guys, part of our call is not to save everybody, but to warn everybody. Does that make sense? Same thing with the gospel in the New Testament. The gospel in the New Testament, we are to cast our seed. We are to share our faith. We are to, we are to deliver God's word and the news of the gospel to everybody. Not everybody's going to receive. Not everybody's going to show up in church. Not everybody's going to grow in their faith. But that's not our job. Our job is to do what we're called, go and make disciples, right? That's our job, to go. Now, if we don't go, then the consequence falls back on us. And we're going to see what the consequences are. But what he's saying right here, he's saying, Ezekiel, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. If you will constantly do your job and warn the people, and they choose not to heed the warning, their blood is on their hands. Does that make sense? You've got your job, and your job is not to make sure that everybody doesn't make a mistake. All right, now, as we continue to read on, what if we don't do our job? He says, if we do our job, 
The consequences are on them and not you. What if we don't do our job? Look at it in verse, 30, in verse 6. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 6. Here's what he says about the consequence. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin, but I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. Guys, you might want to underline that in your Bible. You might want to underline that in your Bible. It says, if the watchman, if the man of God or the men of God, not the man of God pastor, the men of God church, plural, people, if the men of God see the sword coming, the struggles coming, the consequences coming, and they do not warn the people, he says, sure, that person may die because of the consequences of their sin, but the blood will be on the watchman's head. How many of you understand the personal responsibility that is talking there? He says, he says, I'm not going to disavow them. He says, I'm not going to forgive them for their sin. Their sin produces the consequences. But there is a reality that the watchman did not do his job. Guys, let me ask you a question. When it comes to your walk and your faith over the last six months, 12 months, two or three years, what kind of watchman have you been? For other men? For your family? For your community? For your church? See, a lot of times we no longer become, especially as we get further and further, sometimes and I'm talking about the strong Christian, we get further and further into church life, we stop being watchmen for those who are unchurched. We forget what it's like to be unchurched. We forget what it's like to be lost and struggling and meandering and going through a broken marriage or a broken relationship or raising broken kids. We get ourselves insulated around other people and what? We stop being watchmen. One of my greatest fears is that we'd grow a church of really biblically, Ill, uh, biblically, not illiterate, biblically literate men who know all of God's word, but they could care less about the society around them. That they could care less about the society around them. Guys, we don't ever want to become that. We want to be watchmen who are what? We are on the wall. What does that mean? That we are glancing, we are seeing what's going on in our community, what's going on in our society. How can we minister? How can we love? How can we care? How can we walk with people in a strong way? How can we call them back? How can we warn them? Why? Because that's what we're called to do. And what did Jesus say in the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, going from the Old Testament to the New Testament? He said, you are the light of the world, right? He says, don't hide it. That's kind of a, a New Testament illustration of an Old Testament watchman. You're the light of the world. What was the, it wasn't the light of the world for the watchman. It was the sound of the trumpet, right? The sound of the trumpet means be careful in the Old Testament. The light in the New Testament says, man, go to the light, go to the truth, walk towards God's word. And so we want to know that, that as watchmen, if we do our jobs, the consequences is on them. If we don't do our jobs as watchmen, as spiritual leaders in our community, in our families, in our society, in our church, if we don't do our job, they still may die because of the consequence of the sin, but the burden and the guilt is on us. That's a tall order. 
That's a challenge for each and every. I want you to know as your pastor, when I read that, um, that gives me pause, folks. That if I ever get comfortable with where we are as a church or who we are as a church and stop saying, folks, Israel is out there. Does that make sense? And I'm going back to the Old Testament illustration. Or the people are outside the walls of God's grace and God's love and God's favor that we have to always be looking to reach out and to, uh, to share, our, share the gospel, to warn the people. That always has to be our call. Why? Because if we do, if we work as hard as we can as a church sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, then man, all you have to do is believe and have faith. And people reject it. Guys, that's on them. That's not on us. And it doesn't mean we wasted our time. It doesn't mean we wasted our energy. And it doesn't mean we wasted our, wasted our resources. Does that make sense? We did what we were supposed to do. However, if we stop and we stop sharing the gospel and we stop spending money to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ or we stop caring about people who are broken and hurting, then guess what? Yeah, you're right. And I love the way it's phrased here. And you've heard people say it. A lot of times people in churches love to point out someone else's sin. And they'll even say something like they're going to die in their sin. Anybody heard someone really spiritual say that? And they do, right? And that's truth, right? It is their sin. It is going to ultimately cost them either their marriage or their life or their kids. But what does God say to Ezekiel? If you didn't warn them, the guilt is still on you. And so, guys, I want you to know right here is a great example that there are a lot of men who, as we get, there are people in church who, as we get more and more spiritually mature, they are willing to point out someone's sin. They were even willing to know the knowledge that, man, you keep doing that, it's going to destroy your marriage, it's going to destroy your family, it's going to, you know, you're going to lose all your wealth. But they're not willing to share the gospel. Does that make sense? They're not willing to sound the trumpet. Here is the answer to all of your problems. And so if we do our job, the guilt is on them. If we don't do our job, God says the guilt is ultimately on us. He says, verse 6, uh, he says, but I will hold the watchmen accountable for their blood. Now, let's bring it back into the church, all right? So that's the community. So how, do, how should a watchman operate within the church? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Uh, this is talking about spiritual leaders and uh, ministers in the church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. All right. Y'all are all now, now all of a sudden you say, ah, I was good with you then, Joe Pastor. You realize you had spiritual authority over me. But what does it say? I'm, I'm taking the Old Testament idea. What is the New Testament instead of the community uh, with walls around it? It's the church. So this goes to me. It says, it says, have confidence in your leaders. Now, hopefully, after 24 and a half years, you might say he's still a knucklehead, but he does seem to really care what God wants him to do. Uh, submit to their, uh, to their authority, in other words, their leadership, uh, because they keep watch over you as those who must give a what? Somebody say the word. An account. Guys, I want you to know. I, have, I live every day with the reality 
that I will someday have to give a special account for how I watch over you. I know that. And I will tell you there are days that I am not up to the task. When one of you knucklehead goes off and does something crazy and wild, I'm like, God, that's kind of on him, right? Because <laughs> I warned him. Yeah, God said, you warned him. Uh, and there are other times, I will tell you, there are other times, I want you to hear me just as clear as anything. There are other times someone's gone and made a really bad decision, and I can think back for the last couple of weeks, I felt like God was wanting me to say something to him, and I didn't. That was on me. Does that make sense? That doesn't mean I'd have gone to them and they would have all of a sudden said, I'm not going to do it. But what did I not do? I didn't go and warn them. Does that make sense? And there's an accountability measure there for me. Guys, so I want you to know what the message I'm preaching today and, and last week, I'm not just offloading responsibility to you. Now, I'm going to drag you into the picture here in a second. <laughs> but I want you to know that, that they're a part of what we do. And when we're talking about reaching someone else and it's going to cost something, man, I want you to know, I think we are watchmen. Our job is to call. A couple years ago, we built sand volleyball courts. If you haven't driven up here all the way up until the turn of the lights off, there'd be 100 kids out there. Why? Because here's what I know, 95% of those kids are unchurched. What do they need? They need the gospel. What are they looking for? They're looking for answers in the phone or a relationship and a volleyball court, whatever. Just exactly what I did when I was that age. I just want them closer to the church. I don't care if they go to this church or another church. I just want to make sure that we're out there sharing the gospel, right? That's why we do those ministries. So here's what it is. In the church, have confidence in your spiritual leaders as long, and I'll be honest with you, as long as I give you confidence to have a, have a spiritual leader. The good news for y'all by the way, if, if y'all didn't know how, how our church works, uh, you're talking about all these contract disputes, I have no contract. After 24 and a half years, you know how long it takes you to get rid of me? One meeting. Literally, I serve at your will. One meeting, you could vote to send me away. So, I do try to give you confidence that I know what I'm doing because <laughs> it's just that quick, all right? It's not like I can say, whoa, I have a three-year contract. No, 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 one meeting, one meeting. People come together, actual meeting of the church. Someone makes the first, someone makes the second. If I lose it by one vote, I'm done. So that's a measure of accountability, right? So that's why every time I, I walk out of the house, my wife looks at me and says, don't mess up. Yeah, she's the watch woman. So, uh, whoa, man. So, have confidence in your leaders as long as we give you reason to have confidence. Submit to their authority or their leadership because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. I've got to give an account. He says, do this so their work may be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So, you do have a job in me leading you. Don't make my life miserable. And, and it, I, there are times, and I, have, I haven't said this to people, I, I, maybe this is the first time, I've, there are people I've looked at, and they go to our church, and they're miserable people. How many of you know, don't point at them, just you know people are miserable people. And there are times someone, and, and here's what I know, every time they come to have a conversation with me, they are going to try to offload some of their misery on me. And they just make my job miserable. So your job is what? Follow me when I'm making good decisions. Support me and trust that I'm trying to make good decisions. Don't make my life miserable. 
All right? Let's be happy. But there is also, now notice, jump down. Here's the modern day application for pastors and ministers. If you want to jump over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, uh, 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. Again, back to pastors and ministers. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. This is Paul challenging the pastor Timothy. He says, who will, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, here's what he says, verse 2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, encourage with every form of patient instruction. For the time will come when men will not tolerate sound doctrine. But with itching ears they will gather around themselves teachers to say what they once said. To satisfy their own desires. So what is my charge? Is to lead you well in such a way that you want to follow. Lead you for your good. What is your job? To not make my, make my job miserable, any more miserable than it can be, all right? So what all, what, how will you know when I'm doing my job? Jump over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. That's where, when I preach the Word. And guess what? Sometimes the Word I preach is going to be an encouragement to your soul. And sometimes a message I preach is going to hit you square between the eyes. And you need to ask yourself, Am I mad at the pastor, or is that God's word? You know, you know, most people's definition of a good sermon is that sermon that goes right over my head and hits the guy behind me square in the eyes. <laughs> Have you ever sat there in a sermon? Let's be honest. I mean, we're, we're men. You ever sat there in a sermon, and, and it's kind of a sermon on lying or being bitter or being angry, and you thought, man, I know someone that needs this. And it ain't you, right? And you, you're thinking of, or, or have you ever sat there and thought, I hope she's listening. <laughs> How many of you have been there? Uh, you understand what I'm talking about? What's my job, guys? My, God, my job is to make sure that as a church, that we're doing everything we can to spread the gospel. Don't make that bitter for us. That's our call, is we are to sound the trumpet. That is the New Testament trumpet. Our job, and I will tell you, Justin helps in this, our job is to make as best, the best decisions we can every day. And I want you to know, we truly care, we try, and we pray about it. There are some times we make bad decisions. We're pretty good about it. Yeah, that was a bad, bad decision. Your job, as we're trying to lead the church to cast the net, to share the gospel, by making the best decisions we can, is when you see us truly trying to do that, don't be a bitterness to us, right? Don't be a thorn in the flesh to us. But instead, join us, because we're going to get to, and now we're going to get to it next week, we're going to talk how do you fit in the church. I told you how we fit in the church. Then as we go forward, here's how you will know that we are always trying to do it with God's heart, is when we're always preaching the Word. Is when I stand up every Sunday morning and I preach the Word. Why do I give you the insert? Why do I give you all those scriptures? First of all, I, don't want you to, I want you to know where it comes from. Two, I love giving you a lot of God's word. And three, you should always want to know where I'm getting what I'm saying. Every point I ever put on a screen, there is a verse that goes with it. Why? 
that is you, that is my accountability for myself, that I all of a sudden, because I will tell you this, I absolutely know, guys, I could change the way I preach and grow this church more. I could start preaching some nicer stuff and some gentler stuff and, you know, stop pointing out. I could do it. Now, I'm also not a fire and brimstone preacher, right? I'm not. Uh, we, were, we were out the other day and uh, playing with a guy, and he goes, yeah, I grew up in a church, and he was talking about West Texas, and he goes, I don't know what you say it, but it was like when our preacher, when I was growing up, he was like 70 years old. It was like he took the air out of the room. <laughs> Anybody ever know what I mean? Just those guys that you're thinking, he's either going to have a really good point in this message or a stroke, right? <laughs> My job is not to get emotional. That's not who I am. I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a teacher. That's who I am. So my job as the pastor of this church is to be a good watchman, not only over the people in this church to make sure we're on task, which is sharing the gospel outside the walls. Your job is to join us when we make good decisions. Give us some grace when we make bad ones. Justin, would you like some grace when we make some bad ones? And we make some bad ones. You know, we'll roll the dice from time to time. They're Yahtzee dice, so they're not, not Vegas dice. But... In, and then we see God bless, all right? So we'll stop right there, and we're going to come back to y'all, all right? Talk about the Old Testament watchmen. Talk about the New Testament pastors and ministers. Next week, we talk about y'all. What is really your job? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these new guys that showed up, three new guys that showed up. Thank you for the opportunity to laugh and have a little fun. Let us leave here today empowered to be watchmen with a call that sometimes our job is to watch. Sometimes our job is to pray. Sometimes our job when we see the enemy is to sound the trumpet. Sometimes our job is to repair the walls. Sometimes our job is to confess our own sins. Sometimes our job is to confess the sins of others. But always, God, we can never live our lives thinking only of ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. and amen.